Hi everyone, I'm Andrew Wolk, and this is Finding Common Purpose. The way the current social safety net is set up, the way the current social benefits are structured, I don't think we get the effect that we want for the amount of money that we spend. During each episode of Finding Common Purpose, I bring you candid conversations exploring how to effectively build a 21st century social contract to put more people on a pathway to lifelong success. From healthy birth, to a quality education, to a good paying job. Today, I'll be speaking with Aaron Coltrera, the Research and Program Officer for the Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration, or SEED. SEED started as a Universal Basic Income, or UBI-like experiment in February of 2019 in Stockton, California, about 80 miles east of Silicon Valley. For 18 months, more than 100 Stockton residents received $500 a month on debit cards, no strings attached. People are really good, really good at finding the pathways to lifelong success when they are given the tools they need to to get there. UBI has become a hot topic of conversation as our country grapples with how to provide basic needs during the economic fallout from the coronavirus pandemic. Andrew Yang, former presidential candidate, is back in the news as UBI was the foundation of his presidential campaign. Stacey Abrams, former gubernatorial candidate and thought to be on the short list to be Biden's running mate, has been raising cash to give directly to people in need. And the Pope, in his Easter address, called for a universal basic wage. I, for one, as I began writing about UBI back in early 2019, believe it's a long-standing idea that has found its moment. I spoke with Aaron Coltrera about basic income and the work of SEED before this public health and economic crisis hit. And that conversation is more relevant now than ever before. Take a listen. So let's just go real basic here. And can you describe um, the SEED project for me? I think if I saw, as opposed to universal basic income, I think you guys are using the term guaranteed income. So maybe just give me an overview of the project itself. Yeah, absolutely. So SEED is a pretty novel um, guaranteed income experiment. And the reason we're using guaranteed income versus uh, universal basic income or UBI is that UBI is generally referred to as hitting a level that meets all of an individual's basic needs, right? So you're talking housing, food, um, transportation, right? The, The basics that they need to survive. Stockton's experiment is guaranteed income. And the reason why we're using that nomenclature um, to differentiate is that we're giving recipients $500 a month, right? And we know that $500 isn't enough to meet all their basic needs, but it likely is able to do things like impact income volatility, especially for folks who are working, you know, gig economies or who have unpredictable income for whatever reason. And it also helps bring up their basic standard of living. Part of the reason why that $500 was chosen for Stockton and for Seed um, has to do with the fact that, one, you know, there's a limited amount of money for the experiment, so we wanted to make sure that we could reach as many people as possible. And in this case, we're giving 125 residents $500 a month. Um, and two, there was a pretty neat study by the Fed a few years ago um, that found that one out of every two Americans could not come up with $400 in an emergency if they needed it, right? And that's pretty staggering to me. Um, But the idea behind SEED is what would it be like if you could come up with that money, right? What would it be like if you 
didn't have to worry just that much more. And how does that change people's lives or not? So I'm just curious if you could share a little bit more about if you talk much in Stockton about how you might define basic needs and how you sort of think about basic needs and how that complements itself to the ability to sort of help one when it's when they're in a, a situation of emergency of some sort. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things about Stockton that makes seed so powerful is that this really is an all-American city, right? It is, um, you know, we've got about 325,000 residents, um, and it's a city that's been hit in really big ways by a lot of the things that have caused uh, the rest of this country to struggle over the last couple of decades, right, including uh, the recession in 2008 and the housing crisis um, and the slow economic recovery. Stockton is has a much lower income than the rest of the state. The average median income is about $46,000, um, and that played into, you know, how we selected the neighborhoods. But when we're talking about basic needs in Stockton, they're just like basic needs anywhere else. You're talking about food, um, including water, right? This is California with a you know, huge history of drought. Um, you're talking about shelter. You're talking about clothing. Um, and I think that when you're talking about basic needs, it's also important to think about what a person needs, not just to survive, right, but to thrive. And so I think basic needs can also be um, broadened to encompass things like sanitation, um, you know, personal uh, grooming and, and health, as well as health care, um, education, and access to things like the internet and transportation, right? Because that's how you live in society. It's not just enough to have a shelter, to have food, to have clothing. You have to be able to live in society. Um, and I think that that's what's required in the United States. That's terrific. So tell me a little bit about your criteria for who you selected, so, which will probably be able to make the results you get much more rich in terms of how different people spend you know, $500 a month. We selected neighborhoods um, using census tract data that the average income in those neighborhoods was at or below the median income of Stockton, right? So you take that $46,000 threshold and choose neighborhoods that are at or below that level in order to try and ensure that you're targeting folks for whom that $500 is really going to make a phenomenal difference. For those neighborhoods, we sent out um, a few thousand letters to people's homes introducing the program, saying, hi, you know, we're the Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration. Uh, we're looking to see what happens when we give people $500 a month and we want to study it. Is this something that you would be interested in? And we got responses from Stocktonians. We collected data from them where they filled out, you know, long-form surveys. We got demographic data to get an idea of who was in the response groups, right? And then using that data, um, selected what was going to be the total cohort for the group. So that would include the treatment group, the intervention, as well as the control group, and tried to ensure that that group was demographically representative of Stockton. And then those individuals were randomly assigned to either the intervention group, so those folks receiving the money, or the active control group. And the active control group are folks who are not receiving the money, but who are participating in all of the data collection activities that the intervention group is as well. So that you'll be able to then see how different people would spend this extra bit of money that they have. Exactly. Yeah. 
And that's actually one of the neatest things about the way seed is designed, right, is how that money is dispersed. We gave everybody prepaid debit cards, um, and those prepaid debit cards are loaded once a month with the disbursement, um, and folks can use that debit card like they would use cash anywhere, with the caveat that we are able to then track in real time and over the course of the experiment where and how and when they are spending that money and what on, right? Just like with your credit card statement, you can see, you know, broken down your transaction, what did you spend on transportation? What did you spend on food, entertainment, you know, et cetera? Um, we can see that data. So it's a really neat way to, as unobtrusively as possible, track what folks are spending the money on so that we can share that back. So what do residents of Stockton think policymakers need to know? Um, and I think that gets to sort of the storytelling aspect of the work. But can you talk a little bit more about that and how, if I'm not mistaken, the Stockton experiment is much less about trying to prove that XYZ is going to happen and then we were looking for a bunch of money and more about what's the dialogue that could get created based on the results? You're hitting on a huge goal of what we think would make seed a success, right? Um, because we already have a lot of data, and obviously I think we always need more data around, you know, particularly American settings, particularly city settings, because data helps inform policy. But I think one of the things that has been missing that SEED is trying to fill in a gap around is exactly what you just identified in terms of narrative and discourse shift. We would like to help residents tell their own stories by giving them a platform. So there's the storytelling cohort, which are the members of the treatment group who are receiving the $500 who have self-selected to make themselves available um, before the experiment is over to press um, so that they can talk in real time about how their lives are changing or not changing, you know, around seed and the guaranteed income they're receiving, right? And then there's also that aspect of this really is about Stockton. And so wanting Stocktonians to have the opportunity to take control of the rest of that conversation, right? What does it mean to live in America in this day and age with the economic realities that we have and the struggles that we face? And what do policy makers and what do policy changers need to know, right? How does that political discourse shift? And the thing that, that we know that actually shifts political discourse that makes a difference, a difference are stories. And we want to give Stockton the chance to tell theirs. Anyone in particular of the ones that came in the local or in the Atlantic that jumps out to you would like to share? They're all phenomenal stories, right? And these are individuals who opted in to tell their story because they felt that Seed was making a big enough difference in their lives. They wanted to share that. Um, they wanted to help shift the narrative. Um, there's one a young man, Tomas Vargas, um, who has been in the media um, a fair amount. He has an absolutely phenomenal story. Tomas, you know, he's using the money to invest in his future and in his family's future. One of the things that he's really proud of is using the money to pay for um, tutoring to give his kids a leg up. Not that you're not going to um, succeed without this, but that this is something I can do for you to make your future better, right? Um, and to pay for his own education, um, which I just think is absolutely phenomenal. And that, that story is not particularly unique in terms of the forward-thinking ways 
that folks who are receiving the money, you know, really are trying to spend it. And I think what we're seeing in Stockton, you know, especially among the folks who are making their stories public, but even among, you know, the data that we have access to right now that we're watching, is that just like in every other guaranteed income, universal basic income experiment, folks are using it to take care of their basic needs. They're paying down bills that they never had the chance to. They're using it for medication. They're using it for education. They're using it for transportation. Or they're using it to save for their future in some way. I'd love to hear a little bit about any resistance you're getting. Or if you're not getting resistance, what are the, some of the counter arguments that you've heard about UBI or your guaranteed income? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think anytime you are proposing something truly radical, and even when you're not, right, there's always going to be folks who are going to say there's no way that will work, right? Um, and as you know, um, universal basic income, guaranteed income is no exception to that and has a lot of naysayers, a lot of folks who I think – either embrace traditional narratives around poverty, so right, with the idea that um, poor people don't know how to spend their money, you know, that, that we are somehow absolutely insane for saying, here's $500, no strings attached, right? And so this is a group that I think often the criticism that is lobbed unfairly based on all available data is that poor people will spend their money on things they shouldn't spend their money on, right? So you're talking the alcohol, drugs, giant TVs, right? All of the narratives that began in the late 70s, 80s around poverty are, are very much attached to any guaranteed income, universal basic income program. And seed is certainly no exception. So we do get pushback. We get pushback from Stocktonians who are, you know, not involved. And, and we welcome that pushback because that is a dialogue point, Right. When people are engaging in something, it means they're not apathetic about it. And that's, you know, where we can start having conversations with people. Share a little bit more about Seed's philosophy around um, people being their own experts of their own lives. Absolutely. I think that is actually, that's a phrase that I totally love, Andrew, because I am a social worker by training. I have a, a master's in social work. And one of the social work ethical tenets, right, is centered around the idea um, of respecting individual agency and the belief that people really do know what's best for them. And research demonstrates this again and again and again, which is that people really are the experts in their own lives. Um, and Seed is you know, going to have a lot more examples based on the data that we're seeing. Um, but people know what they need. And sometimes I think what people need isn't what you or I would look at them and say that they need, but it's their life. And so they get to make those choices. Seed's commitment to that philosophy is evident in the fact that this is money, no strings attached. In fact, none of the people participating in the research have to participate in the research. If tomorrow my entire treatment cohort called me up and said, Aaron, I don't want to do any more of these text-based surveys or interviews, obviously, I'd try to talk them out of it because we think that data is super important, but they wouldn't have to. They would still receive the money. Right. So that money truly is no strings attached. And that's a little revolutionary, um, yeah. certainly in terms of how we generally think about, you know, benefits in the United States. We don't need as humans 
someone looking over our shoulder saying, you can only do this, you can only do that. And in fact, I would argue that that prevents people from growing into who they are capable of being and that people are really good, really good at finding the pathways to lifelong success when they are given the tools they need to to get there. In some of the reading that I've done around UBI, once you get beyond, let's say, the experiment working, sooner or later we have to deal with the issue, okay, well, if this does seem like it may be a, a different and perhaps better path forward for meeting basic needs or even getting people on and staying on, let's, you use the term and I use it as well, pathway to success, one place to look is those benefit programs. Yeah. And I'm just curious if you all have any thinking around how – UBI or guaranteed would interact in the future when you're trying to cover a much larger group of people, perhaps even all residents in Stockton or something of that sort. Um, the way the current social safety net is set up, the way the current social benefits are structured, I don't think we get the effect that we want for the amount of money that we spend. Right. And I think a lot of people recognize that. And so some people look at universal basic income or universal guaranteed income and they think here is something that can replace these other benefits. Right. If we just give people cash, then we won't have to provide housing. If we give people cash, we won't have to provide, you know, food or food stamps or we won't have to provide, you know, government sponsored health care or health insurance. Um, and I think that the way seed as a program looks at those social benefits is that guaranteed income or universal basic income is an also and rather than an or for a lot of those programs. Yeah, and there's one other part of it that, that I've sort of been curious about is just the very nature of what it's like for someone to have to interact with social benefit programs itself, which seems to be indirect sort of challenging with the notion of people are their experts in their own lives. Right. Yeah. And, and what comes with the need for someone to actually have to go through a variety of different steps to access certain things that I think is also part of it as well. Yeah, I think you're very right. I think you're very right. And I think inherent in that is a recognition that the way that we have set up a lot of the social benefits in the United States is fairly paternalistic. Um, it involves, you know, a certain amount of implicit or explicit shame or blame about the ways in which, you know, a person has failed in order to have to access those benefits, and that that's not necessarily, you know, in line with the idea of, you know, of how we would like to see social benefits set up, right? Recognizing the, the value in the individual and the agency over their own life and their ability to make, you know, um, decisions on their own. And I do think that's something that we have to, we have to figure out how to navigate better. So just one last question, um, but in your, um, discussion paper that you can get on your website, you have this call-out box. And, you know, my, my blog is called Finding Common Purpose. And in my early blogs, which were titled To What End, I, I call for a new social contract um, in the United States. And I'm going to quote what you said, in some, we believe that SEED provides an opportunity to imagine a more fair and inclusive social contract that provides dignity for all. And I'm just curious about the, the genesis of using that term um, up front in your executive summary? So I think one of the most important things that SEED is looking at, right, is what is the social contract ultimately? Um, you know, what does it mean to be part of society and to interact? And what do you 
What can you expect from society, both for yourself and for others, right? And I think that one of the things that guaranteed income challenges and that that's referring to, right, is that are you entitled to help only if you are struggling so much that it is visible, that it is recognizable, right? Or is there a way of looking at society and saying everyone is entitled to this help, right? Regardless of whether or not we think they need it, everyone gets it. And that is something that guaranteed income, that universal basic income is aimed directly at in terms of conversation. This is the antithesis of means-tested or you know, group-based interventions where you have to be a member of a specific group or you have to make a certain amount or not make a certain amount, right? You have to struggle in some way that we recognize and quantify on paper. Um, and I think one of the things that SEED is challenging is what if you didn't? What if simply by being part of society, a member of the society, you were entitled to that? And I think that's pretty radical. That's Aaron Coltrera of the Stockton Economic Empowerment Demonstration. Aaron's ideas may seem pretty radical, but they're gaining more traction as we try to make sense of what our communities and our economy will look like in a post-COVID world. To read more about guaranteed income and the positive results from SEED's initiative, go to StocktonDemonstration.org. For more about my interview with Aaron and to learn more about UBI, go to the Finding Common Purpose blog at andrewwolk.com. Finding Common Purpose takes a look at what 21st century progress should look like, grounded in a simple idea that success is a lifelong endeavor. In upcoming episodes, I'll explore one particularly challenging span of the winding pathway to lifelong success. The transition from high school to post-secondary education or training that results in a good paying job. At this moment, that handoff is just plain broken. I'll talk with thought leaders who are trying to bridge the gap and young people grappling with how to survive and hopefully thrive in these turbulent economic times. Join me for these eye-opening conversations I'm your host, Andrew Wolk. Doug Slaywin with Satellite Sound Recording is our sound designer and engineer, and Laura Spencer produced the show with help from Rachel McCarthy. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoy what you heard, be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review. It's the best way to make sure other listeners find us. Thanks for listening to Finding Common Purpose.